0: Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Legal Glass Ceilings. It gives me enormous pleasure to welcome this in Rajput as our guest this afternoon. Not a name that many people will have heard of, but somebody who occupies a really interesting and pivotal position within the legal world. Namely, he's a talent recruiter for one of the major law firms. He's the person who will decide. When he sees your CV, whether you get through to the next round or not. And therein lies real power. Forget high court judges, forget court of appeal judges. This is the man who's got real influence over the careers of the next generation of lawyers. Nitin, welcome to Legal Glass Ceilings. Ah, thank you very much. Privileged to be on with you. Thank you for the kind introduction as well. It's a pleasure. We'll come to that in a moment. First of all, tell me a little about your background. Uh, What sort of family did you grow up
1: in and where? Sure. So I grew up in North Devon, of all places, pretty much on the coast. Grew up in a fairly, what you would describe as a kind of traditional Asian household, you know, mother and father still together. I live with my grandparents as well, no, my grandmother and an auntie as well, along with an an older brother, really. They came over, I believe, in the 70s, I think, when they were were removed from Uganda when, when that contingent came over during that period. So we um, so actually came over, I suppose, technically as as refugees. So I guess the British government afforded us kind of you know social housing in in North Devon. So, ha- so I had very humble beginnings when I was born, you know, in in the 1980s, um, growing up in Devon. Predominantly spent my childhood up until probably the age of 18 in in North Devon before moving on to university and going down, you know, the traditional legal path and through normal education all the rest of it.
0: Before we get on to
1: university, tell me a little about the background. Was your father a lawyer? No, no legal background in the family. Uh, my dad was a civil servant. My mum was also a civil servant as well. And my uncle was in the army. So we had no links within the legal profession other than, you know, from a, from a typical Asian you know, background Parents are encouraging their children to go into more, you know, kind of an established professions. So things like law, like dentistry, maybe medicine, and those kind of traditional um, sectors. But in terms of why, other than kind of a stable income, there was no links to law whatsoever, yeah. really. Did you go to study law at university? I did. I went to uni in Southampton. The truth is, to be honest with you, I never really had any aspirations to go into law. It was something that I kind of fell into. So during my I suppose school education, I wasn't a naughty kid, but I never I didn't really have um, a direction I felt. I never really felt like I was academically great at anything. I think I was average, perhaps above average in certain sectors. So things like drama and, and English, anything I suppose more creative, I was kind of excelling at. In areas like maths and science. I was probably average. I really had to push myself to, to sit there and learn about these things. I think when it came to choosing what I wanted to do, my dad just, I recall saying to me, look, if you're going to go to university and spend all that money and let's basically get yourself into, into debt, then choose a profession that is at least going to be something that you can fall back on, depending on what you want to do. Uh, but also, it's a secure profession at the same time. Now, he's 100% right. And, you know, ironically, as I've gone out, throughout my career, I've gone full circle and now working within a law firm. But I don't, you know, kind of regret that decision going into law uh, by any means, because I think, you know, at the time I was, I an mean, gnarling about whether I wanted to do law. I wasn't, if I'm casting my mind back to probably the age of 16 to 18, why I wanted to be a lawyer probably looked very different by the time I actually got there. I just knew it was a esteemed profession and it was just something that I probably was interested in at the time, but probably for the wrong reasons. And I'll tell you why, the TV programmes that you saw about lawyers glamorised the legal profession. And I thought at that time, perhaps naively, didn't do enough research by any means, that that's what law looked like. And if you can imagine that TV programme suits, that's what I imagined kind of law to be, you know. And, and, and once I eventually got there, it's very different to, 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 you're, you're to you know. You say that the suits is not accurate.
0: We're, we're all
1: my views of what, <laughs> yeah. what <it> like. <laughs> I'm sure there's, there's elements of it that, that are true, but yeah, it's, not everyone looks like um, you know like the, like the, the people on that programme. So I went to the University of Southampton, did the LLB. At the time, I was more interested in criminal law. I did a hybrid with criminology, um, because that's where my kind of interests were there. Even thinking back to that, that time period, I never really saw myself becoming a lawyer is just something that I was kind of guided towards and felt like it kind of naturally fitted my my kind of strengths compared to, to other subjects. The truth is also during the LLB I didn't really enjoy that aspect of the course there was a lot of history about the law I remember there was a lot of kind of academia surrounding the law and I actually got to the end of the course thinking to myself I'm not sure whether this is for me or not and you know once you start to do a bit more research and kind of speaking to Peers and contacts, they actually said to me, actually, a day to day life of a lawyer is very different to probably what you've experienced in the last four years because clients are not interested in the history of law. They're interested in terms of the practical solution. And so that appealed to me more. And that's when I started to think do I want to be a barrister or do I want to be a solicitor? And I Started to realise that going into the world of criminal law wasn't very well paid, and I think I was probably more attracted to the commercial side of things, namely because I knew the salaries were better at the time. So I started leaning towards the more commercial side of, of the legal profession. At that time, I was doing an internship with the Cabinet Office. I can assure you, there was no parties going on at that period. It was a it was a very, uh, <laughs> was a very straightforward. A lot of disappointment. Gig. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Andy Burnham was Secretary was of State at the time, who's now the, the, the mayor for Manchester. Uh, within, within the cabinet office, they've got their own in-house legal department and I leaned on them in terms of trying to steer me in the right direction. And it was them who said, actually, you know, a, the, the legal work is, is a lot different to, to probably the academia side of things. So then I went off and, and decided, rather than taking a gap year, exploring the world, well, I thought the money that I saved, I'm going to put that, into the LPC instead, rather than taking a loan and actually let's see what life is like as a lawyer. So again, as you can see, I've kind of just gone through my career almost winging it in a way, deciding actually, um, is this something that I want to go into? It's when I did the LPC, I realized actually, this is very different to what the LLB was like. and This is what I can probably see myself doing. That the community, the, the people on the course as well, and I could see myself going into law as a result.
0: Most of us feel we're winging it most of the time. <laughs> I speak as someone who sits as a high court judge, appears in cases. There's always an element of us which feels that actually we're winging it. So the way you felt when you are a student going into doing your LPC actually is how
1: most lawyers feel most of the time. It's part of the fun, actually. Absolutely. I I agree. I mean, there was an element, I think, because I never really felt included in that world, maybe. I always felt like there was a bit of imposter syndrome in a way. I always felt like I wasn't good enough as well. I always felt like I was working a lot harder than other people to almost achieve a result that was on par with them. I think there's an element of I was diagnosed with dyslexia quite late into my education as well. So we're talking kind of university. So I think that impacted and probably knocked my confidence as a result in feeling as if I was good enough to do the profession, but also coming into an environment where it seemed like it was a bit of a, you needed to know somebody to get into the profession was, was quite intimidating. There was a sense that I, I felt like I had to almost be someone else in order to succeed. Now, having been through my career today, in hindsight, the more genuine you are and the, the, the more you can be yourself, the better you're respected and the better you're probably regarded in the long run. But there was certainly an element during that period where I felt like, actually, I need to kind of walk a certain way or talk a certain way and dress a certain way and perhaps even change my accent in a way to almost pretend to fit in because that's what I thought law firms wanted from me, which now that I'm on the recruiting side of things, I can confidently say, I don't look for any of that. And neither do our you know, hiring partners either. They want people who are you know, a bit more authentic and more genuine, but also have the capability. And a lot of the time, we're looking for potential, not looking for the finished article. Can I break down
0: that answer? Because there's all sorts of interesting points there. First of all, there's something we have in common. We're both dyslexic. And law is a tough profession for anyone who's got dyslexia because it involves... The absorption of a large amount of information, quite often relatively quickly. But it's also an opportunity for dyslexics, because I'm convinced that we see links and patterns that other people don't see. So if we can get through the hard grind, which is more difficult for us, as you rightly say, often the results
1: are more creative, more interesting. I don't know whether that's your experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really difficult for a non-dyslexic to understand how a dyslexic brain works in practice. And I think looking at it in hindsight, it probably makes sense as to why I was very good at things like drama and English language and, and maybe even English literature, because there's an element of actually being a bit more creative in terms of my thought processes, which feeds into the legal profession because a lot of the time you are breaking down complex terminology with perhaps lay people and trying to understand where they're coming from at the same time. But also finding problems and solutions perhaps don't exist at the moment. And I suppose again from from in terms of my dyslexia, it's become very resilient as a result. And so you're often told no or you're told this is the way it's always been done. But I suppose a dyslexic brain will often think, but why can't we do it this way? And if you look yeah. at very established caos or ceos Um, you know a lot of them tend to be dyslexic as well because i think they have a a way of assessing the world which is very unique Um, and i do think companies and law firms are now perhaps understanding a bit more about learning difficulties and it's not a hindrance actually it's more about having these individuals in the business can actually diversify There will be people
0: listening to this podcast who have various range of neurodiversities, dyslexia being one of them. And I would encourage people in the application process, first of all, to be open about the fact that they have any neurodiversity processing issues. And secondly, not to underestimate the benefits as well as the challenges that can give now, you're in recruitment. Does that does that accord with the way that you would yeah, encourage absolutely.
1: people? Yeah, absolutely. Because like I say, it, it's having people who see the world slightly differently and have an, a, a way of problem solving that's slightly unique to the traditional way of, of working through things. So when it comes to the kind of application process, we collect data and metrics, and that's not because we're trying to look at numbers or quotas. We're actually looking for things along the lines of actually, you know, this person has unique skill set that can potentially benefit the business and ultimately you know the the legal profession the more that we can encourage those individuals to not be put off because they might have some learning difficulties that shouldn't hinder them from approaching a profession like law uh, because it's actually welcome from from my side.
0: Brilliant the second thing that I wanted to pick up one is your feeling coming from a non-traditional legal background that somehow you needed to adapt yourself, to adapt your accent, Mm. to adapt your Mm. approach, Mm. your dress, to fit in with your perception of the stereotype of the young lawyer. Now, that's very, very common. And obviously, to some extent, we have to adapt to the professional environment. Mm -hmm. But how do we balance, looking back at your younger self, think you could balance the requirements of the profession, you turn up on time, you look reasonably smart, with maintaining what is essentially you rather than trying to be somebody else.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a difficult one. And, and I'm kind of staring at it from the lens of experience. So if, you, if I was talking to myself at the age of you know, 18, for example, it's a very different person that I'd probably be speaking to. I suppose, like you say, we, we all ultimately want to kind of feel included. And, and so there's a part of you that has to remove certain unique qualities about yourself in order to, to fit in, depending on the environment, the more corporate the environment, then you kind of have to fit into that mold on anything. But I, I do remember kind of going in and feeling as if if I'm going to get a training contract after the LPC, then I do need to potentially fit in. I can't be so unique to the point where you know people are are not I'm not going to be able to fit in because personality whilst it is important we still have to have a job to do and and there's also depending on I suppose clients as well um, in terms of what's their expectation and I think for those applying for law firms there are a different set of law firms throughout the sector which have different cultures and so you should prove enough research be able to identify which firms are going to embrace you for being yourself and which perhaps you're going to have to adapt depending on the sort of sectors that you're working within, really. So there is a certain expectation in relation to being able to articulate yourself very clearly in those professional environments. But to what extent do you have to lose your core values? I I have a, a slight disconnect with. So having adapted yourself, did you get a training contract? I did eventually, yes. After my LPC, I didn't have a training contract which isn't uncommon. So I went and got my first paralegal job in Bristol. I went into insurance work. At that point, I was applying for training contracts, but I wasn't getting anywhere. I was just literally doing applications to try get a training contract as quickly as I could. And so I was paralegaling, and it quickly dawned on me that in order for me to probably get a training contract, I'd probably have to stand out from the crowd. And at the time, the statistics were probably one in 10 for those for applications. So one training contract for every 10 applicants. And so I moved firms. And so I thought to myself, I'm probably going to be better off getting the backing from a partner or a good reference from a partner because I didn't know any at the time. I came straight from from university into the LPC. So I didn't have a network of, of people other than the people I knew. And if I can be taken under the wing of somebody to kind of steer me in the right direction, then the chances are when I came to applying to that law firm, that partner would probably give me a good reference and hopefully at least get me through the door. Because at that point, I wasn't even getting an interview, probably because, you know, my applications weren't strong enough in hindsight.
0: That's a very interesting observation, because on the one hand, that could be seen as kind of nepotism, but actually it seems to me it's more sophisticated. What you're saying is, get yourself in as a paralegal prove your worth to somebody in the firm, get somebody to see your talent, and then effectively help develop that talent. And that's not nepotism, that's saying, I'm going to work really hard, and I'm going to show the
1: people that matter, that they can invest in me and I'll deliver them a future. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, when I was at university, they, they encourage you to apply for training contracts in your second year, maybe even third year. Yeah. So there's people even I was studying with were coming out with training contracts. And so financially, it makes life a bit easier if, if a law firm you're joining, albeit in two years' time, are paying for your your training contract. But there's a whole contingent of, of law graduates which is a part of the problem in terms of, of those going into law who are coming out with law degrees without any prospect of qualifying. And so, again, it's, it's looking at it commercially or perhaps even entrepreneurially. So actually, how do I stand out from the crowd? And if you don't have a strong network around you, then, again, how do you demonstrate your experience and potentially position yourself where a a law firm is actually looking at you as a long-term investment rather than it just being another application group because you would have built those relationships. You would have built that rapport with individuals within that law firm so they can see if once you qualify, then they can ultimately bring you on.
0: So so the message to anyone who's listening who's a paralegal is – to work hard and showcase your talent in the hope that somebody will
1: see it and buy into you. For any paralegals listening who are looking for a training contract, I would encourage them to not only work hard, but also network as well and build up your community around you so that you are positioned in a way that you can seek out opportunities to put yourself in the best position that, so that if you do want to progress your career, then somebody will recognize the talent that you have, but without networking and building that community.
0: Okay, so the paralegal says to me, Yeah, everyone talks about networking, but what do I actually do? How do I network?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's difficult. You, it, it, at some point in your career, you are going to have to sell yourself, whether that's through legal services or whether that's through an interview setting. And so there is an element of being able to, you have to kind of put yourself in, whether it's a junior lawyer event whether it's through you know, social networking, uh, expanding your, your, your network, even through LinkedIn, for example, and just expanding that pool and building, dare I say, your own brand to make you stand out from the crowd. Because for, for the amount of applications that we get, even from a, from a training contract perspective, how do you distinguish more than anything? And I suppose in our field, uh, within the legal sector, um, a good reference will always do you, always do you well yeah
0: so it's being open to conversations with more senior people going the extra mile doing things all firms engage in marketing being available to do to, to assist in marketing to doing the things that make you stand out beyond purely doing your job it's a I tough so. ask isn't
1: it when you're 23 it's a tough ask and i think the more competitive the profession does get then um the more you have to do to make you stand out. It's not just about academics anymore. It's, and it's not even about your network anymore. It's about actually what else are you bring into the table. We call it commercial awareness at the end of the day um, within, within a law firm. But it's those bits, it's the ability to network within your circles. That's really going to make you stand out from the crowd. Yeah. So you managed to get a training contract. Which firm was that with? That was with BLM, which is now Clyde & Co. Right. And did you enjoy your training contract? I did. Yeah, I, I did my training contract initially in Bristol. So I was predominantly doing what they call large loss, catastrophic injury, um, personal injury work. And then my seat rotations went to healthcare regulatory. And then I was seconded to London into property litigation. And then I had been with the firm probably four years at the time. And I was offered to stay on. Um, but it was to stay on in London, and I was pretty set on moving back to Bristol. So I thought it's probably time for a change. And, and who did you move to? To Clark Wilmot in Bristol, which is a, a very well-known and regarded legal 500 firm. And eventually you made your way to DAC Beechcroft. Were you working there as a lawyer? No. So when I uh, finished off, when I was at Clark Wilmot, I was umming and ahhing about whether I wanted to continue down the route of being a a a solicitor so once i qualified i i went into claimant clinical negligence and although i enjoyed the work and it's very challenging i just felt like my skill set i suppose it's like cliche question you know if i see myself in the next five years where do you see yourself and i suppose i was kind of looking at what i wanted to do I still wanted to be a part of the legal sector, I remember, but I, I didn't see myself being a lawyer. I always felt like I was going to move away. Now, my partner at the time, she said to me, look, if you're going to go, go now, because there's no point in you staying when you're going to get promoted and then the money goes up and it's going to be a lot harder for you to walk away. So if you're going to go explore some other opportunity, do it now. So wow. I went into legal recruitment because I felt like it was probably the next transition rather than retraining into something else, because all my experience up until that point, including my A-levels, are still embedded within that legal sector. But legal recruitment is very different to being a lawyer. It's got synergies yeah. there, you know, don't get me wrong, but it's not as academic. You're, you're networking all day, you're selling all day, and you're, you're communicating with firms, and you're getting to know the cultures of the firms and, and what makes them stand out. And so I decided to do my own thing for a couple of years within recruitment, Before coming back almost full circle in-house to working for a leading international law firm by the name of DAC Beechcroft. And it made sense to me joining DAC because my training contract was predominantly within the insurance healthcare space. So I've got that legal understanding in terms of the the typical work that they they do. But also from my recruitment experience, being able to use those skill sets in my current role, which is now recruiting talent at the same time. So my role is very varied at the moment in relation to dealing with kind of senior, senior stakeholders and senior management, but also in relation to recruiting talent coming into the firm at all levels. So
0: before we talk about recruitment, one of the things I'd be really interested to hear your views on is the diversity of types of workplace between different firms, because this is something that from the outside, perhaps all lawyers look the same, but I I. As a barrister, work for a whole range of legal firms, from small ones to large ones, from claimant based to defendant based, from big commercial firms through to radical cutting edge law firms acting for claimants. How can we explain to potential recruits what the different, how they learn what the culture of a law firm is like? before they apply for a
1: training contract or for a job with them? Um, you don't know is, is the honest answer about actually being there. You, you're not going to really know. So this is where <clears> research <throat> is really important in relation to you know, if, you're, if, you're, if you're searching out and, and potentially looking to join a new firm. Now, most firms on the face of it kind of look the same. If you look at their kind of home pages, they will kind of have that kind of you know, traditional model. And you mentioned about you know, diversity, um and some firms and it's that whole cliche about kind of it feels a bit more of a tick box exercise in relation to what they're doing um and I think you know most of us can probably see through that to be honest with you it feels like a consultant has come in and says look here's what we need to do and then it's kind of you You know know, we're just kind of doing doing it aesthetically more than anything but I think if you really drill down and and if you are um particularly interested in 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 things like you know in, you know diversity and, and inclusion, really have a look in terms of what those firms and who the individuals are those firms and and see um, um, the sorts of people they've got working there and that could be from a from a um you know like I say from a, a pure kind of ethnicity standpoint or whether it might be from a, a a gender equality standpoint, and you can quickly see which firms are genuinely very pro um um, you know, very keen on, on um, promoting their inclusion and diversity and those who are probably just saying it because it, they, they want to be a part of the crowd
0: So look at, the, look at who gets promoted in the last 5-10 years Is it all white men or is it a variety of men and women, a variety of ethnic minorities um, I often think it's worth looking to see whether um, they, they walk the walk on um, uh, uh, diversity by, you know, do they have a black lawyers group? Do they have uh, LGBT groups? Do they exactly. have, yeah. um, uh, uh, and, and do they do pro bono work? is often an interesting uh, yeah. um, uh, uh, sign because my experience is good firms do pro bono work and stuffy boring ones don't. Is that
1: what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> My firm does, to be honest with you. I mean, all of the, all of the bits you just mentioned are, are, are all correct, so I can confidently say. And there's a reason why I chose, you know, DAC for, for those reasons, um, because I felt like there was a genuine approach um, to, to those areas. But like you say, you know, I, I totally agree. I mean, you know, any, any firm that's committed to, to kind of, you know, um, getting involved in, in pro bono work or even corporate responsibility and, 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 you know, this kind of, you know, those sorts of projects, they're not just kind of doing it so they can post it on their social media. They're doing it because they genuinely want to do it. And by having a more inclusive, diverse workplace, ultimately benefits the firm, generally speaking, uh, in relation to, to, to that overall business. So, it so, so the look,
0: look beyond the policies to see whether there's practical examples on their website and whether they're so. actually doing the thing.
1: I think so. Yeah, I think so. And you can quickly establish by doing even just even your basic research to see what sorts of individuals are, are working at the law firm and is that the sort of environment that you see yourself working in as well? Because that's equally important as well because ultimately you're going to get the best out of yourself.
0: I think we all know that there are vastly more applications for training contracts than there are trainees. Uh, training contracts available you've rightly said that in order to to make progress you've got to stand out from the crowd can you help us with some tips about what people should do to really make
1: their application stand out okay I think the first one is research now the numbers aren't in your favor by any means but targeted quality applications is always going to make you stand out so my number one advice is always research the firm that you're doing and the more research you do the more comfortable you're ultimately going to feel. The chances are, if you've done your research properly and you've done your application well enough, you're going to be called for an interview or at least to an assessment centre. And so preparation is king. there. And remember that you are going for a professional interview and, and looking at it as a career rather than it just being an interview just for another job because this, for those entering the legal profession, it's a lifelong career. And the third thing is, is something that we've spoken about numerous times throughout the course of this conversation is networking as well and making sure that you are going to careers events, making sure that you're going to the kind of professional social events as well. And the more people that you can be connected with, the chances are your application and your name when you do eventually apply will probably stand out because if you've made a good impression, somebody's going to recognize your name and probably take your application and read it through in a lot more detail and make you stand out from the 300 that might be applying to that same week, for example. And that's not, you know, I'm not necessarily exaggerating those numbers. No, I mean, I'm afraid the truth is we have three publicists in chambers
0: and we have between five and 600 applicants. Yeah. Yeah. And it is ruthlessly difficult, but that's really, really good advice. I'm gonna wind by asking you this, what's the best bit of advice you've ever been given
1: about being a lawyer? I think the best piece of advice I got was actually during my training contract. It was, don't try to pretend to be a lawyer. And what I mean by that is, I think it comes back to what you think a lawyer needs to be when advising clients, because what clients want a solution. And the better you know your client, the better you'll be able to, to give them practical advice in relation to what they're looking to achieve. Whereas I think when you're starting out in your career, you might not have that experience. But I was told, don't try to be something you think they want you to be, and and be authentic to yourself. That's really
0: really good advice. Listen, I cannot thank you enough. the The last forty minutes has contained so many nuggets of useful advice, which, where your perspective, will assist people. Who are thinking of coming to be a lawyer who are in the process of applying to be a lawyer or taking their first steps and wanting to know how to do it better all of us are winging it but hopefully with your advice they'll wing it with a little more confidence and <laughs> a little more accuracy so thank
1: you very much indeed my pleasure thank you thank you for inviting me